Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. The Bible is our authority and every message delivered proclaims the truth in a way that is relevant and practical for daily life. At Vail Christian, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Take your Bible and turn to the Gospel of John chapter 6. That's where we are today. While you're turning there, let me tell you, just last week, I, I just wanted a piece of toast, right? Now, I didn't want like Wonder Bread kind of toast. Not that. That's not toast. You know, if you take Wonder Bread, you can take a loaf this big, and I could grab it by both ends, and I could just crunch it down into the size of a baseball, you ever done that with Wonder Bread or made a bologna sandwich and then flatten it down really, you know, because it just compacts because it's so full of air and it's, I don't know, if you like Wonder Bread, it's awesome, but it's not really bread, right? So I just wanted a piece of sourdough toast, right? So I had bought this loaf that's like heavy um, bread and I, I got to tell you, I was kind of hiding it because Linda's not... She's not too big fan of bread, right? It's like, you shouldn't be eating bread. Because I feel like all I have to do is smell it and I get fat, all right? <laughs> and there's something about bread. I just like bread. So I just put it in the toaster. We've got this cool kind of retro kind of toaster. I put it in there, and then I got the butter out. Not margarine, not like butter. You know, you can buy that butter that doesn't have salt in it and stuff like that. That is not butter. Not ghee. What, what is that? That's like, that's terrible, right? That's not good. I wanted butter, you know? Butter with salt in it, pure butter. So I got the toast out and I just, you know, the kind of butter that when you get it out of the refrigerator, it's hard and you, you, you put the knife in it and it's like hard, right? Not the kind that sits out on the counter. No, butter that's nice. So I got it out and I put it on that bread. You know, like when you spread the butter on the bread and the knife goes, you know, because it's toasted and it smells up the house like toasted bread. Ugh. All right, so I put the butter on there and it started melting it. And I was like, oh, you know, it would be really great. A little bit of jam on there. That's right. Jam's good. Mm. So I open up the refrigerator looking for the jam. You know what's in there? Schmucker's sugar-free jam. Yeah, uh, that's it. Uh, me too. I'm like, this could be heaven, but it's turned into the worst day of my life, just like that. Like sugar-free. Uh. What in the world? No. I just want a piece of toast with some jam on it. I'm right there. My lips are salivating. I can smell it. I've already smelled up the whole house with toast. Linda's going to find out. <laughs> so I just put my shoes on. I got my keys, and I walked over to the Safeway. Because we just live right there. And I walk into the Safeway. I love that Safeway. It's right there. You can walk to it. Sometimes I just walk to the Walgreens, and they got stuff in there. But I needed to go all the way to the Safeway for jam, because there's no jam at Walgreens. Forget that. I walk over there, 
and now listen, Lynn and I, we haven't, we've lived here for a little bit, um, but we used to live on the east side next to this Safeway on Houghton and Broadway, and that's a big Safeway. And I knew my way around in that Safeway. I knew right where the jam was, could go right to the aisle. But over here, you know, Safeways are like this big. But this Safeway over here is like this big. There's like half the aisles, half the stuff. It's kind of cool because it's just smaller. So I'm walking up and down the aisles looking for the jam because I'm going to have some jam on my toast or else. I'm walking up and down the aisles, up and down, and I can't find it. And I'm like, surely I'm not. I'm not that dumb. I don't need to ask anybody. It's here somewhere. What am I missing? I'm actually walking up and down the aisle. So much people are like, what are you doing? What can't you find? Finally, finally, I just say to this sweet little girl, I'm like, hey, you know, what is wrong with me? Where's the jam? Where's the jelly? It's got to be here somewhere. She goes, oh, yeah, we get that all the time. I'm like, what are you telling me? Like, are you about to tell me there's not any? No, don't tell me that. She goes, okay. You know, over here on the back wall, there's a big wall of bread. It's as big as this screen. It's like nothing but bread. You know that? I'm all, yeah. She goes, we'll go right to the end over in the corner where the double doors are, where the guys take the trash in and out of there, and nobody wants to go in there. And right in that little corner, that's where the jam is. So I was, I was like, well, that's terrible. The jam should be right out where everybody can get it, not hiding in the corner. Who stocked this place, Linda? All right, now listen. Whatever. She's all about don't eat any sugar and don't eat bread, Ben, because you're just going to get fat. And she's probably right, but that's not what this day was about for me. I just wanted a piece of toast. So I pawed through all the jam. There's a whole shelf of sugar-free jam. I don't know why, but... I got the strawberry jam, and that's all I bought. I put it in the bag, and I walked home, and I beelined it back to my toast. That was cold. So I just pulled out a couple more slices, and I threw those in the trash because I said, this day is going to be about warm toast. If it's the last thing I do, I toasted it all up, and I buttered it nice, you know, and I buttered I got the crumbs all in the butter stick, you know, just like nobody likes it. It melted all on there, and I opened up that jam, and I took the knife, and I, you know, and I slathered a bunch of jam on there, and I ate a piece of toast, and I was in heaven, right? I don't know. Bread will do that to you. It'll make you do stuff. I don't know. There's something about bread, just warm bread. I would have eaten it with the butter on there hard as a rock. I'd have still eaten it. It was great sourdough bread, not Wonder Bread. That's not bread. That's air with a little bit of bread in it. I, I ate two pieces of it, and then I just put two more in the toaster, and I ate two more. <laughs> I ate enough bread for two people. And then Linda finally was like, what did you do in here? It smells like bread and toast, like is that all you were eating is bread? And I said, no. There's butter and jelly on it. <laughs> Chapter 6 is about bread. I'm telling you, it's about bread. Let me tell you, I believe with all my heart, and you're going to believe it too, I think, by the time we're done, because I'm going to spend a while on this. I believe bread exists 
to help us know what it's like to be satisfied in Jesus. I believe that with all my heart. Bread exists to help us know what it's like to be satisfied with Jesus. This is true when it comes to water. I mean, John already proved it with water. Talking about water, it's true when it comes to light. He's proved it with that. And every other good thing that God made, nothing exists for itself. If you think this through, nothing exists for itself. All things were created through him, through Jesus, and for him, for Jesus. Colossians 16, uh, 1, 16 says that. Every good pleasure that we have in this world, it is designed by God to give us just a taste of heaven and make us hunger for Jesus, to make us hunger for Christ. I believe that. Because bread is about Jesus. I'm going to show you this. In John chapter 6, we watch Jesus work a miracle with natural created bread. He works a magnificent uh, miracle, so much so that we use this story with children all the time to teach them things about God. He creates bread, the kind they ate every day. He uses that, all right? That's what verses 1 through 15 are about in chapter 6. They're about bread. And then the rest of the long chapter, it's amazing. Verses 16 through 71, it's, it's amazing how many verses then are about Jesus showing people with provoking, even offensive language, that's what he does, that this miracle of bread is about himself as the bread of God that comes down from heaven. And his language is provoking and offensive. It's actually crazy because by the time Jesus is done belaboring or pressing on this comparison between himself and bread, a lot of his followers just leave him. They abandon him. (laughs) Maybe you're feeling like that today after my little uh, illustration. You're like, "I, I don't know if I can take much more of this. But that's what happens. In verse 66, you can read down towards the end of the chapter, many of his disciples quit following him and did not accompany him any longer. And he does this unbelievable thing with bread. And they're like, yep, forget it. When he starts teaching them about why he did all this, right? So in the weeks to come, and I know I said it, weeks, we're going to spend weeks here. We're going to do that. His disciples, um, we're going to dig in like he did with these people into this comparison and the things Jesus said said about himself as bread that made some people leave. Now, not everybody leaves him. Not everybody, all right? Jesus asked the 12, his 12 guys, right? In verse 67, he says, you don't want to go away too, do you? Right? And then in verse 68, Peter, Peter says, of course Peter does. So I love Peter. He answers, what's he say? He says, Lord, to whom would we go? Where are we going to go? Who would we go to? You have the words of eternal life. Right? So today I want to focus just on how Jesus set up this really long discussion. And it is a long one. He sets it up with a miracle of making real bread, enough real bread to feed over 5,000 people only using five barley loaves and a few fish. It doesn't say anything about butter and jam. I mean, can you imagine if, it did, if, that's, if they had that, right? Fish and bread, that sounds a little, hmm. So the story as John tells it 
has two parts. The miracle itself is in verses 1 through 15. I'm just setting you up for this. And then the explanation and all the controversy over Jesus as the bread of heaven is verses 16 through 71. So let's just read the first 15 verses first, okay? Let's start right there. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias, just in case, you know, you're living in the region and you're like, what? Where is that? A large crowd was following him because they were observing the miraculous signs he was performing on the sick. Remember the guy at the pool of Bethesda and the paralytics there and, you know, everybody was sick and everything and he healed that guy. So word starts getting around. Lots of people following him. So Jesus went up on the mountainside and he sat down there with his disciples. And then here's the commentary. Now the Jewish feast of Passover was near. Okay. Verse 5, then Jesus, when he looked up and he saw the large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, where can we buy bread so that these people may eat? Here comes some commentary that John wants us to know about. Now Jesus said this to test him for he knew what he was going to do. All right, so there's a test in here. So Philip replies, 200 silver coins worth of bread would not be enough for them. For each one to just get a little. Verse 8, one of Jesus' disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said, Well, here's, here's a boy who has five barley loaves and two fish. What good are these for so many people? So, you know, Andrew's running around going, Well, I'll go take a look. And that's what he finds, right? Verse 10, Jesus says, have the people sit down. And then John says, well, you know, there's a lot of grass in that place. So everybody could sit down. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. And there's bound to be a lot of women there and kids and stuff too. So there's a lot of people there. And then Jesus took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed the bread to those who were seated. He then did the same with the fish as much as they wanted. And so when they were all satisfied, Jesus said to his disciples, well, gather up the broken pieces that are left over so that nothing's wasted. So they gathered them up, they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the broken pieces from the five barley loaves left over by the people who had eaten. Now, when the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus performed, they began to say to one another, well, this is certainly the prophet who has come into the world. Now, that's either an italicized um, print in your Bible or maybe bold print because it's reaching back into the Old Testament. That's why it's doing that, right? Then verse 15, it says, then Jesus, because he knew that they were going to come and seize him by force to make him king, he withdrew again up to the mountain alone. So Jesus seems to be like, taken off periodically for some reason, right? Remember he took off with the paralytic, right? He heals a guy and then he took off and nobody knows. Even the guy that was healed, he's like, he didn't even know who he was that healed him. Jesus is doing something here for a reason, right? Because this is more, this is about more than feeding people, right? It's about more. The, the beginning and the end of this section about feeding the 5,000 shows us that both, both that Jesus is doing more than feeding people with natural bread. He's doing more than that. And that the people in general, and I think this is very important to remember, these people are in no spiritual condition to see what he is doing. 
And I think that's true of you and I. Don't, don't just go, oh, these people, you're so blind, you're so whatever. I, I think it's very applicable to us. I think it's very applicable. I think there's lots of people coming to church every single week, coming in and out, coming periodically, coming consistently, coming in consistently, that are not in good spiritual condition, meaning they're somewhat immature. They're not paying attention to really what life's all about. They think life's about them. They look at Jesus uh, for, uh, for what he can do and not for who he is. So we've seen this before in the gospel, actually. John sees this, and he writes in particular because he sees this, the way he writes, right? Jesus will say something or he'll do something in the natural realm as a way of pointing to the spiritual realm, and then the people don't get it. We start it right from the very beginning. He told the, the leaders in Israel, the, the, the religious leaders in Israel, it says, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up, right? That's in John chapter two. And, and they say, well, well it, it took 46 years to build this temple. What, what are you, crazy? And then he tells Nicodemus who seeks him out at night, he says, you, you need to be born from above, Nicodemus. Let me answer your question before you even ask it. And Nicodemus asks, well, how can you get back up into your mother's womb? I mean, what are you, crazy? And then in John chapter 3, he tells the woman at the well that he would give her living water. And she says, well, you don't have a bucket. What are you, crazy? And now notice how this happens again in the feeding of the 5,000. It happens again. And the point of John showing this to us over and over, by the way, is to wake us up from being so spiritually blind or spiritually immature or in a bad place spiritually. Our, our spiritual condition is not what it should be. His target is our faith. It's our faith. So he shows us both the lifelessness of unbelief and the greatness of Christ, the immaturity spiritually and the greatness of Christ. Look at first verses one and two. It says, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd is following him because they, they were observing the miraculous signs he was performing on the sick. So they're following him because of the signs they saw him doing. That's why they're following him, right? He's healing the sick and they were amazed and they want more of the benefits of this power. So if we hang around, I want, I want the benefits of this power. This is huge, all right? It's not encouraging. You've seen this phrase before because they saw the signs he was doing back in John chapter 2, all right? Many believed in his name, but when they saw the signs he was doing, right? But John adds verse 24, it says, but Jesus, on his part, he did not entrust himself to them. Because why? Because he knew people and he knew what's going on inside and he knew that they were about the stuff he's doing and not about him. So something's wrong in their hearts, and Jesus knows it. And John is pointing this out. They're excited by Jesus' signs. They believe he is a genuine miracle worker, but something's not right. Something's wrong. Now, jump to the end of the story of the feeding of the 5,000 in verses 14 and 15. Go to the end of the story, and you can see what's wrong. It says, now when the people saw the miraculous signs that Jesus performed, they began to say to one another, well, this is certainly the prophet who is to come into the world, right? We read about this. Then Jesus, because he knew they were going to come and seize him by force to make him king, he withdrew again up to the mountain 
to be alone. He takes off when he finds this out. Now, why does he take off again? Watch this. Why does he withdraw? Why does he get away so quickly? Because the enthusiasm these people have is not for who he really is. It's really important in our day and in your life to understand this. People can have a great enthusiasm for Jesus, but the Jesus that they're excited about is not the real Jesus in the scriptures, actually. He might be a morally perfect Jesus, and people love that. Or actually, Jesus has a socialist part of him, and people really dig that. I don't know, you can make Jesus into all kinds of things. A capitalist, I guess. An anti-Semitic Jesus, a white racist Jesus, a revolutionary uh, liberationist Jesus, a countercultural cool Jesus. But not the whole Jesus who in the end gives his life for sinful people, right? And if your enthusiasm for Jesus is for a Jesus that actually doesn't exist, your enthusiasm doesn't honor the real Jesus, then he's going to leave you and he's going to go up to the mountain. He's going to bolt. He's out of here. He's going to leave you alone. Now, what do they start seeing? They start seeing Jesus as a prophet, right? Okay. Jesus as a prophet. They saw him as the predicted prophet and the long expected king of Israel because they know a little bit about the Bible. Isn't that right? Verses 14 and 15, right? And they see the miraculous signs. They're like, oh my gosh, here's the prophet who's coming to the world. And then Jesus knows, oh, they're off track and they don't get everything. He takes off. Isn't he the king? Isn't he going to be the king of Israel? Isn't he the king of Israel? Isn't he the prophet? The reference to the prophet points back to Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 18, 15, where Moses prophesied this. Here's what he says. He says, the Lord your God will raise up a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. So Jesus was this predicted prophet like Moses. In fact, that may be why in verse 3, he goes up on the mountain for this miracle, right? Just like Moses goes up on the mountain. I don't know. So when Jesus went up to the mountainside, he sat down there with his guys, right? In verse 3. So, but what, what is going on here? He's not the prophet they thought, is he? Right? The people who saw Jesus' miracles, they didn't understand what it meant for Jesus to be this predictive prophet. Look at verses 32 and 33. You got to go down below the chapter. We didn't read these. It says, then Jesus told him, I tell you the solemn truth. Here, here's some truth, you guys. Is, not, is it not Moses who's given you the bread from heaven? It is not, excuse me, it is not Moses who, who has given you the bread from heaven. It's not Moses, but my Father is giving you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So in other words, when you think of me as a prophet like Moses, don't draw the parallel too close, all right? I am like him, but I am so much more than Moses. I'm a lot more than he is. Do you think Moses gave, uh, gave uh, the bread, you know, the manna, the manna from heaven? Remember, God's chosen people wandering around the desert for 40 years, 
They got to have food. They have to have sustenance. God provides manna, bread from heaven. No, it wasn't Moses who did that. It was God who gave it. And now Jesus is saying, I'm giving it. Do you understand? You want to make the connection here? I'm giving the miracle of bread. Out of five barley loaves, I'm multiplying this manna, so to speak, the way God did. I'm not just another Moses. I'm not just another prophet. I am like Moses, but I'm much greater than Moses, just like God is greater than Moses. Okay. And as the creator of barley, as the creator of manna, bread from heaven, right? I don't just give the bread of life. I am the bread of life. You can see my power, but you don't, you don't, you're, you don't seem to be able to see how this power is going to be used. You don't know me. You don't know who I am or what I've come to do. So what don't they see? What don't they see? What are they not seeing here? The clearest cleanest answer comes later on all the way down in verse 51. Go down to verse 51 with me. He says, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats from this bread, he will live forever. Ever. The bread that I will give for the life of this world is my flesh. So there's three things that they don't seem to see. Three, three things right there. They don't see that he's going to use his power not to triumph over the Romans, but to deal with their sin. That's what he's going to use his power for. And second, they don't see that he is their food. He says, it's me. It's not my gifts that your soul needs. It's me that your soul needs. All right? And then the last thing that they don't seem to see, they don't make the connection between these two things, right? The way he becomes food for sinful people is by laying down his life. In verse 51, right? The bread that I will give for the life of this world is my flesh. So he's saying, look, you call me prophet, and I am, but not the way you think. That's what they're not seeing. Now, what about Jesus as king? Because... I mean, that's pretty accurate, right? Jesus is a king, right? And we sing about him being a king. Verse 15, look at verse 15. Then Jesus, because he knew they were going to come and seize him by force to make him king, withdrew again up the mountain alone, the mountainside alone. And so at the end of Jesus' life, and we'll get there in this gospel, I promise we'll get there one of these days, right? In John chapter 18, in verse 33, he says, um, Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? He says, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus, is, Jesus answers him later on in the chapter. He says, my kingdom's not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom's not of this world. In other words, yes, I'm a king, but not the way that you think I'm king. And so when Jesus says that he doesn't, he, 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 he doesn't mean that this world doesn't belong to him. That's not what he's saying. Yeah, the world belongs to him. It does. He made it. He's going to come again to claim it. That's 
true. What he means, though, is I've come into the world the first time to rule, not to, I've come into this world the first time to rule men's lives, not by their, by being their military leader, but by being their bread. You see, by being their bread. I'm, I'm going to be victorious, not by sub, subduing armies, but by satisfying people's souls. I'm going to conquer not with the power of armed forces, even though I could totally do that, but with the power of, of creating radically new appetites. So he's not the king they thought, right? He's not the king they thought. And what we see back in, you know, in chapter 6 is that the crowds didn't understand this at all. They didn't get it. I mean, all you got to do is look at verse 26. It's the key to why Jesus takes off and he goes up to the mountain and has nothing to do with their excitement about his kingship. He leaves. Verse 26. I tell you the solemn truth. You're, you're looking for me not because you saw our miraculous signs, but because you ate all the loaves of bread you wanted. You know, bread tastes really great. You guys didn't even have any butter or jam. You got all you wanted, and that really excited you. This is why you want to make me king. To have me a king as king means they have full stomachs. They hadn't been changed. Jesus didn't come into the world to just lend his power to already existing appetites and give you what you want. That's the fundamental mistake, by the way, of, prosper, of the prosperity gospel. Maybe you know a little bit about the prosperity gospel. There's plenty of teachers out there teaching this. The fundamental mistake is this. Leave people untransformed in what they crave and simply add the power of Jesus as a way to get what you crave. That's not the gospel. It's, 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 it's the kind of stuff Jesus just walks away from. He's not having any of that. John 6, 15. Look at it one more time. Then Jesus, because he knew that they were coming to seize him by force and to make him king, he withdraws at the mountain alone. So what is Jesus doing what is Jesus doing in this miracle of taking five loaves of bread right? And a few fish feeding all kinds of people, at least 5,000 people. He's, you know what he's doing? He's opening up a window. He's opening up a window about who he is. And he's opening this window, not so that we might get excited about how useful he is at getting what we already want, He's opening this window up so that we might see that he's better than anything we've ever wanted. Now, as soon as I say this, hold still. <laughs> what does this have to do with you and me? It all kind of comes down to this, right? I mean, we can go through this whole story. Is this whole story in here because it doesn't have anything to do with you and I? Let's just re recap. What does this have to do with you and I? Number one, the point of making bread, you know, like the kind God made uh, manna, that kind, of th that kind of thing too. The point of making bread, Jesus making bread, is that the Son of God has come into the world not to give you bread, but to be your bread. That's why he does it. 
And since we're all sinful people and don't deserve this bread, how is he going to give it to us? We got to go to verse 51 again. That's why I focused on verse 51. Even though we didn't read that, it comes right there. He says, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone, eat, if, if anyone eats from this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. I mean, he's done this uh, through John's um, storytelling like four times already. When he gives his flesh on the cross, he becomes bread. Have you ever thought of that? Nourishing, satisfying bread for sinful people who believe. Who believe. That's why it sounds almost offensive to say, you know, the tables around here with the bread on it? That's for the believer. It's for the believer. There's no reason to go to the table if you're not a believer. Almost sounds offensive. Like, what? Why would you exclude anybody? Well, verse 6 says, Jesus was testing Philip when he said, in verse 5, where can we buy bread so that these people might eat? Where can we get it? And Philip's like, well, we're going to need a lot of money. What is Jesus doing? Jesus is testing him and he's testing us. I mean, hey, man, do you not realize I'm the bread? I'm the bread. We don't need any money. Even Andrew's running around. Well, I got some, I found a few things. He's trying to take inventory. Are we like the Jewish leaders? It took 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to build it in three days? What are you crazy? Or are we like Nicodemus? How can a man be born from above and enter into, I mean, got to enter into your mother's womb? What? Or like the woman at the well? How can you give me living water? You don't even have a bucket. Or like Philip in verse 7, Jesus, 200 silver coins worth of bread. It's not going to be enough. It's not going to be enough for everybody just to get a little bit. What's this have to do with me? Well, number two, are, are, are you like the Jewish leaders? And, and maybe even Philip, you know? And, and, and it's not like Philip's not like the other. Uh, the other guys are in the same boat. I mean, you could say, you know, are you, are you like Andrew running around looking, well, let's see what we can do here with all these. There's not very much, but it's something. Or are you going to see Jesus crucified for sinful people as and risen from the dead to become not a giver, but a gift, not your patron or your donor, but your bread. That's why he says that to Philip. Well, Philip, you're not quite getting it. I'm the bread, man. So what does this have to do with me and you? Are you feeding on Christ? Living on the food of him and drawing life and sustenance from him. Or are you drawing, trying to draw life from everything else? Are you feeding on everything else, right? I think it's a powerful set of questions, isn't it? Oh, there's so much in there. Be careful 
Not to go, man, all these 5,000 people, they don't get it. What a bunch of dummies. <laughs> I mean, that, if that's not us, I don't know who it is, right? It's, that's you, me and you. What are you feeding on right now? Are you like the Jewish leaders? You're just not getting it. Or the woman at the well. Or Nicodemus. Or the paralytic at Bethesda. The pool of Bethesda. Father, this is um, so much about you. We're all trying to feed on the wrong things a lot of times. Thank you for bread. Thank you, God. I, I, I believe it, that it exists to help us know what it's like to be satisfied in your son, Jesus. That's what we're after. We know this bread is about Jesus. We're going to make it about everything else. And we try to fashion your son, Jesus, into the Jesus we want and we think we need because of what he can give us. Lord, radically change our thinking radically change our thinking. We don't want to be like so many that just quit following your son because he belabored this point. We want to be people that, that feed on your son, Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great day, you guys. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like more information, or would like to view the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com and follow us on social media.